Welcome back to 5050 Films. I'm Autumn. And I'm Peter. And welcome to part two of our 2024 Oscars episodes and the first episode in our series that actually focuses on Best Pictures, which is the core part of our Oscars project. So we watched two Best Picture noms this week, which brings our total Best Pictures watched to four. And Peter's going to tell you about the first one that we saw. Poor Things is a horror comedy movie starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe from 2024? 2023. I guess, yeah. It is an Oscars nomination. It kind of has to have been last year. Anyway, at the beginning of the movie, medical student Max McCandles becomes assistant to Godwin Baxter, a mad scientist and surgeon whose current experiment is Bella, a woman reanimated after a suicide by having the brain of her unborn child transplanted with her own. As she develops her mental faculties, Max falls in love with her, after which she runs off with a sleazy lawyer, Duncan Wedderburn. By the end of the movie, Bella has come into her own, both mentally, physically, and sexually, as she transitions from um, this affair with Duncan to becoming a Parisian whore, all the while developing her own mind through literature, meaningful friendships, and hating Duncan. She returns to London for Godwin's death, and meets her past husband from before her suicide, um, escaping him yet again and taking over Godwin's practice with the help of Max. Good job. But a yeah. lot happens in that. I feel like oh, yeah. some that up It's, really it's well. a long movie. Yeah. So this one obviously is up for best picture. I'm going to run you through all the other things it's up for um, because I just looked through again and it's actually a lot. So Mark Ruffalo is up for actor in a supporting role for his role as Duncan Wedderburn. Emma Stone's up for leading actress um, for Bella Baxter. Do, 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 do cinematography this one is up for as well as costume design and directing it is up for film editing as well as makeup and hairstyling music original score uh best picture obviously uh it is up for production design um do, 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 and there's at least one more writing adapted screenplay huh so this one's up for quite a bit yeah um, seems like it we watched this one very early on in the week, uh, which we were both thankful for because it was one of those movies that after you watch it, you really need to sit on it if you're going to rate it, at least if you're us. Um, we both gave it 3.5 stars, which I do feel good about, <laughs> having had the time to think about it. This movie is a hard one to rate because it is intriguing I never felt bored. No. Um, I was, you know, curious, and I thought that a lot of it was interesting. The characters are interesting. Um, but it's also really gross um, mm-hmm. and really uncomfortable, sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a not-so-good way. Um, and to me, I don't think Peter agreed with this after the fact, um, but to me it, it felt oscar Beatty a little bit. Like, it felt yeah. like parts yeah, of this were crafted because this will, the shock value will, like, make it, make it good for the Oscars. So, the longer we do this project, and this is our third year, like, actually watching all the best pictures and paying attention to the Oscars, the easier it is for me to pinpoint those things. Of Like, okay, yeah, this is an Oscar bait kind of film. And this one felt that way, but obviously not in that much of a detrimental way, because it's still, like... A 3.5 is a solid score. 
Like, it was a solid movie. Yeah, I'd say so. I would highly recommend not watching this if you're pregnant. And I'm just going to leave it at that. For many reasons, for many scenes, I do not recommend this for anyone who's pregnant. It's, there's just... The movie is gross. There's a lot of gross stuff. Which, in and of itself, isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to have gross things in your movie. But, like, like ah. Sometimes it felt like it was done for the shock value. Is exactly what I'm saying. I like think it so wasn't too. as purposeful. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize it was classified as a horror. Oh, I don't know. That's what I just. Okay. That's just what I wrote. I mean, okay. I, te- I would. I would assume you it could. Is. <laughs> you could scroll down on that IMDb page and we could find out. Yeah, let's out. see what they like officially. I would. I mean, a comedy drama romance sci-fi. <laughs> okay. That's my other. I mean, so this is science fiction in the barest definition of science fiction. There are. The, apparently Yorgos Lanthimos is obsessed with the idea of um, ski lifts. Did you not notice the like little air like tram cars? I did. In yeah, every but... section, it, literally in every city they go to. <laughs> There's one in like Milan or wherever they are in Spain. Um, Milan's not even in Spain. No, is I it, don't think so. It's in Italy. Um, but <laughs> I was but like, they, they go to they go somewhere in Spain, and it's like. There's, like, a freaking air tram. And then they go somewhere. It's, like, Cairo. There's an air tram. Like, Egypt. Alexandria. Like, I, like, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know what this guy's obsession is with the, with the like, vaguely steampunk. It's, like, so vaguely steampunk. You know? Like, some people, people are dressed. Some people are dressed like it's steampunk. You know? Like, some. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I had a couple things I wanted to ask you. And the yeah. first one kind of relates to this. It's, like... What, when does this take place? This would be the Victorian era, I would assume. But is it? No. Like, yeah. No, it, it's, that, that's the sci-fi part, is that it's, it's out of time. So, like, this, much, like, much like most steampunk is very, Vic, it's like Victorian, but if there was some extra tech, you know, uh, which, I mean, that's, that's pretty much all I gathered from the whole thing, uh, Victorian, but extra tech. Okay, that was that was my interpretation as well. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you was, so this movie starts out in black and white, um, and then we get a glimpse of color, and then it is fully in color from there on out. What was the meaning of that to you? Um, I, well, I believe it was... I hope it wasn't supposed to be her sexual awakening. Or her... I don't think because it was. Because literally, literally jump cuts to color... And she's like riding Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. So like I, I it's it's definitely. I didn't interpret so, it that way though. I interpreted it as levels of her consciousness. Basically. Uh, that's that's basically how um, I did as well. But the movie also throws in the well, she's fucking now, and there's now it's in color, you know. Right, but I feel real like sensation maybe or something like that. By the time she leaves with him, I feel like mentally she's reached a different level. And so that's kind of how I saw it, was, like, her baby... When can babies see color? I don't know. I wonder if that... I'm gonna pause this real quick. So we... I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Your color vision is fully... Okay, so according to a, a good, quick Google search... From Pampers.com... <laughs> 
the experts. That four months is when your baby's color vision is fully developed. So, but maybe we... that was the point. But I could have sworn they had, they were like looking after her for well more. I than think four so months. too, like... and that's not how I interpreted it. But that's just something yeah. that came to mind. Yeah. Um, something that's really interesting, disturbing. Maybe should have been touched on more, but I also kind of like that it was left up to the audience to, like, figure out their opinions on, was just the fact that Max is attracted to her when he knows that she has an infant's brain in her, in her head. So, I'm not about to defend this, because it is really weird, but (laughs) at the beginning, he just thinks she's... He calls her, in the words of the movie, a beautiful retard. Right. Because that's what he thinks she is, because that's what makes sense. You know, on first glance, she is developmentally, like, not there at all. Right. And But she has the body of Emma Stone. A grown woman, um, yeah. So, so, like, I assume, and he hasn't learned that she has an infant's brain until, I think, a decent bit in, probably, to him knowing it her. It felt quick to me. It feels quick to us because we don't see the passage of time in this movie. Like, it, like you know, there there is no title card that tells you it's been months. Like, but, but I believe we are to assume as an audience that it has at least been a few weeks, if not several months, of him being the assistant for Dr. Baxter um, or, or whatever. Uh, but for all that time, I think he, he just thinks that she's someone who was in a horrible accident, because that's what he is told, and he's fallen in love with her looks, I guess, and I mean, I'm sure there's something to the, like, even that sense is, of wonder. Is I mean, icky. People, people fall in love with stupid people all the time. Right, but he is essentially her caretaker. Yes. Like, there is some, there are some lines there. Yeah. It, beyond. It's, there's certainly lots of concern, but also it's supposed to be Victorian era-ish. And there was, you know, I, I think we could just sort of chalk it up to everything was kind of fucked up back then. And, like, there was no, there's like, ethical concerns were, like, as far out the window as they could be. Um, without falling, basically. Um, and in many cases, they were just chucked out the window entirely. Um, so... I still think I that's, that's... It's very gross. That says something about his character. That says something about Mark Ruffalo's character. That says... That is a statement being made about men in general um, at that time, if not beyond. In in my humble opinion. Yeah, there are those weirdos that are like, doesn't have a pulse, is it illegal? And it's like, ooh. Yeah. You guys are creeps. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm sure it was much worse back before, or back before anything was illegal, you know? And Max, at <laughs> least, like, does not take advantage of her as she is. Like, there's this scene that, <laughs> in which she discovers self-pleasure and, like, is shoving fruit up her vagina at the table to, like, show like, oh my gosh, look what I discovered to Max and the maid and all that stuff. And he is like, don't do that. Like, that's not something we do in polite society, you know? Yeah. Um, he, like, falls in love with her, but he isn't, like, carnally in love with her, you know? Or, like, it's it, there's less lust from him than mm-hmm. there is from Duncan, particularly, yeah. you know? Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's still very weird. And the fact that he doesn't, like... I, I don't know. I, it's... 
it's it says something about men in general, and it also says something about and I'm not saying the time all period men. particularly. Like don't don't twist it. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to no. whoever's listening. It's not like a general lie. You know, it's just like a. I don't know. Just a thought. Just a statement. Um, speaking of, so he tells her, this isn't something we do in polite society. Duncan, then. His character is so interesting, and it actually makes a lot of sense to me that Mark Ruffalo is up for an Oscar for this role. Because it is a very, it's an intense role. And he goes through a lot of, like, weird character development throughout the film. But he starts out when he first meets Bella, but being like, oh, who cares about polite society? Like, I don't much care for it, and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, he takes her with him to a foreign country, and she does one thing wrong. He's like, oh, we're in public. This is, these are the things you're allowed to say, and this is how you're going to carry yourself. And then that backfires on him because she tells a woman it's, like, delightful that her mother died or something. I can't remember the, the exact specifics. Um... And then he, he also has a scene, it might be that first one, right after it goes to color, where they're having sex, where afterwards they're lying in bed and he's like, don't go falling in love with me, like, I know I'm the best at sex ever, but, you know, this, this is just like a one-time thing, and then he falls in love with her and is trying to control her and is completely, like, territorial over her and says she ruins his life, um, and he becomes kind of, like, insane. So his his whole character development I found really really interesting. I don't know about you. No, I, no, I felt no. like Ruffalo did a really good job. Yeah, I mean, uh, trying to think. There's there are this this book is weird. Movie. Sorry, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it is a movie. It's also a book actually. It's based off a book. Well, right, because it's an adapted screenplay. Yeah. Um, book by a Scottish guy. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I I, I gave it a three point five. It was watchable. I I, I guess it, it, I wasn't bored. It was not watchable for me at some points. It was. A times oh yeah, you were looking away all the time. They cut the backs of people's heads open and do brain surgery in this movie. There's like. I mean, it's not like, you know, slasher gore or anything, but yeah. it's like I, I have, medical gore, for I, sure. I have a very weak stomach. I had my face in Peter's hoodie for, like, a good portion of this movie. Willem Dafoe has a face prosthetic in this movie. I didn't know it was him. You didn't? Until I pulled How this How did up. you not know it was Willem? I don't know. Because that's exactly what I told myself when I pulled this up. I was like, obviously that was Willem Dafoe. Yeah. They just put a big thing on his chin, yeah. and, you know. Just to give him like a more a more grotesque look, which is funny because I mean Willem Dafoe could be the Green Goblin without if they just painted his face green, you know, he didn't even need the mask. But <laughs> I don't know. I, I yeah, I think I'm kind of done talking about it. Yeah, listen, we've watched some bad movies for Oscar yeah. projects. This didn't feel like that. This certainly wasn't bad. This movie is weird. Yeah, is it gonna end up on either of our top fives? Most assuredly not. But was it awful to watch? No, it wasn't. And yeah. it, like I said, felt Oscar baby, so I'm not surprised it's on the list. Yeah, there are movies that are weird, um, good, and weird gross. And the weird gross movies don't necessarily, aren't, aren't necessarily not good, but I'm not a, a huge fan of weird gross movies. Yeah. 
Um, so like stuff like Repo, the Genetic Opera, and like this, um, just it's just a little beyond my or like uh, Triangle of Sadness. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is what this I was like. This this feels like a Triangle of Sadness scenario yeah, a little bit. This is this year's Triangle of Sadness. Uh, maybe I hope. Well, maybe Brittany, maybe you'll love it then. Because good Lord knows we still have the zone of interest, and that might be this year's Triangle of Sadness. Um, but I don't know. As long as we don't end up with a don't look up, I am I'm yeah. all for whatever's about to be thrown at I us. I don't want to don't look up, and I don't want to that book or that movie about cowboys. That one that was like. Power of the Dog. Yeah, I Power totally of the Dog. The one that taught me what Jesse Plemons' name was, but unfortunately was also boring as but shit. But that's the only good thing that came <laughs> out of it. <laughs> I watched one movie this week. It was Kung Fu Panda 2. Oh, I forgot. Um, which I realized I never watched as a child. Really? I, I, I had not watched any Kung Fu Panda beyond uh, the first movie. Um... That's the Kung Fu Panda Two is the one where a peacock uses gun, um, and uh, it's super effective. I guess I don't know. It was it was dumb. It was fun. It was Kung Fu Panda. You know, I had a great time. Boys and I liked it a lot. You know, um, I know that uh, the third one is where his dad is there. I'm pretty sure. Kind of has to be because they just showed his dad at the end. The and the new one's class. four, right? The so. new one is four. So. Watching the third one this week with the guys. Should be fun. We got in two episodes of Veep. That's like our max per week in this current uh, stage of life we're in mm. right now. Um, I watched an episode of Sex Lives of College Girls. I say the same thing every week. You did. I'm so boring. Well, I don't say you're boring. But... I still like it. I just don't have any time to do anything. I'm so thankful that Gina and I watch shows together otherwise i would never watch any shows <laughs> and you and i would watch one show a year at this point because yeah. it's taking forever you watch any anime yeah i probably just kept up with some of the stuff i'm, re- I'm watching right now i think i watched one of the 99.99 tank or whatever uh you know it sucks crunchyroll doesn't work at the library like even on the patron wi-fi Okay. It's like really slow, um, and I'm not sure why, because not a lot of other things have that problem. So I have to download episodes onto my phone if I want to watch them at the library. Also, uh, it's blocked on the staff PCs, which makes sense, but also doesn't make sense at the same time. And I and I've. Already put in a formal request to get it unblocked for me because I need it for a program I'm doing in June. But uh, we'll see if IT ever gets around to just clicking that button because I know it's not hard to whitelist something for someone. But whatever. I finished both the books I had been reading. So I was listening to How to Keep House While Drowning by Casey Davis. Um, and I really love that one. I gave it five stars. It is essentially about taking the morality away from chores, um, and the getting rid of the idea that, like, your house has to be spotless all the time, which ours has never been, but I always felt like I needed to work towards, and honestly, that book just kind of felt like someone giving me permission to do what I can. 
<laughs> which is as much as I can do anyway. So, it, uh, yeah, that, I could talk about it for a long time, but, like, who wants to talk about cleaning for, for that long? And who wants to listen to it? Me, apparently, because I listen to the book. Um, and I finished Know My Name by Chanel Miller, her memoir. Uh, and I really love that one. I didn't rate it because how do you rate a book like that? Like, it's this woman's story about something horrific that happened to her. And it was so well written and it was so, it's hard to call it a good book. It's an important book. Everyone should read it. But it is infuriating. <laughs> it's, it's angry. It makes you angry at the system and angry, you know, and so sad for her. And it just is, it's, it's a tough one to read, but it's so important. Uh, and I'm glad that I read it. I am currently reading The Seven Year Slip by Ashley Poston. Um, this is for my in-person book club for February. It is, I'm not very far into it, but as far as I can tell, it is about a woman in a magical apartment, and I believe there is, like, some time travel element where she meets a guy who, like, is from seven years in the past or something. I don't know. I typically don't like time travel, so I would not have picked this up on my own, but... I guess uh, my friends were arguing it's like not technically time travel, but anything like time travel adjacent, I I personally avoid. So hopefully I like it. Yeah, I just read some Naruto. I haven't. I didn't even know you did that. <laughs> I was busy as shit this week. Work was crazy. We've been doing a whole shelving, weeding, re reassigning project in the the library, and uh, I've been. Uh, you know, uh, incapable of uh, of really reading anything besides a little bit of Naruto, which I only got to read towards the end of the week, like literally like two days ago yesterday. I mean, you could read when you get home. But... Yeah, but I'm playing video games when I get home. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Naruto's been fun. Um, Sasuke's a little bitch. That's all I have to say. Okay, what are you playing? I'm playing Warframe. That's all I'm playing. Okay, I feel like this was the lowest energy media break we've ever done. It probably had. It probably was. I had. I just have had like I had such a busy week. I didn't get to do anything. That's me every so week. Like, what one movie, one thing I'm reading, and one video game. Like that's usually. I usually have like a bunch of stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um. Did I? I Did I talk about Masters of the Year last week? I don't know. I think I have to. I had to have because I think we recorded on Tuesday, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah, I would have already watched it with Paul. So yeah, I really have nothing to fucking talk about because that was Monday. All so. right. Well, <laughs> we'll end this here. We, this next movie is going to bring the energy up. I yeah. have a feeling. American Fiction is a 2023 comedy drama starring Jeffrey Wright, Erica Alexander, Leslie Uggams, and Sterling K. Brown. In this film, Thelonious Ellison, known by his friends and family as Monk, is asked to take a leave of absence from his university job after several student complaints are filed against him. He returns home to Boston, where he learns that yet another of his books has not been picked up by a publisher. As he takes on the task of caring for his mother and begins to fall in love, he gets increasingly angry at the expectations for what a book written by a black man should be like. He writes a new novel under the pen name Stag R. Lee in an attempt to point out the hypocrisy of the literary world. 
just for that novel to gain him fame, money, and awards. In need of the money, as he is now tasked with finding his mother a care, for, care facility, Monk finds himself acting as a man on the run from the law in order to give the publishers what they want. At the end of the film, Monk reveals his identity as Stag and reaches out to a movie agent to write the movie of the creation of his pseudonym. We both gave this five stars. It was good. It was really funny. It was so good. There was a lot of... I was, I was very worried going to this. Um, mostly because I had a really busy week and I was like, this isn't a bad movie. This is going to destroy my night. Um, I was worried in the way there because I thought there's a potential, based on the title, that this was supposed to be some sort of rage bait movie. And um, we've we've watched those because of Oscars yes. before. <laughs> yeah, we've also watched them because not of Oscars. Right, right. Um, and they're just, they're always, I fucking hate them. I hate them so much. Um, they just piss me off. But that's not what this is. Not even close. Um, no, this is, this is great. This movie is so funny. Yeah, it's and really funny. That's what I need to put out there. They slap the label of comedy on everything that is like semi-lighthearted these days. This movie is a true comedy. I cannot tell you how many times I laughed out loud, how many times you laughed out loud, how much anyone else in the theater laughed out loud. Um, it was a really, it was a fun, I feel like there were just enough people in the theater to make it kind of fun to be in there with other people. Um, and it was a bunch of, like, just very small groups, like couples, and it makes me kind of wonder if people were there for the Oscars as well. Um, but everyone was just having such fun reactions. Yes. Because it's funny in multiple ways. Like, there are, like, laugh out loud funny moments, but it's also so witty, and then there are also those, like, <laughs> kind of moments, too. Like, it's, it just runs the gambit on comedy, and it was so well done in that respect. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of sad stuff that happens in this movie, too, and it's still just, like, it still ends funny. Like, like I mean, his sister dies, like, almost immediately. Like, she's a heart attack or whatever. Yeah. Um, like, his mom, his dad had killed himself, like, a couple years prior his mom's got Alzheimer's, and she's like her. She's deteriorating throughout mm. the movie. His brother is a wreck. Yeah, <laughs> his brother just went through a divorce and also came out as gay and is and has money because he's a plastic surgeon. So yeah. he's just like dissolving as a person yeah. currently. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty nuts. <sighs> I mean, but there's just so much happy in there as well, especially with. Um, his family's, like, long-time sort of... What would you even call her? She's, like, the... Like a maid. Like, the housekeeper, yeah. Housekeeper, yeah, yeah. So Lorraine, she's so, a sweet lady. Monk is from money, right? Clear. This is a, this is a black family with money. Mm-hmm. Um, his, house. His father was an OBGYN. Yeah, big-ass house. And a beach house. Beach house. <laughs> like, nice beach house. Um... Everyone in the family is successful. You know, his 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 sister, before she passes, is like a doctor working at a Planned Parenthood cl- or, or similar Something style similar, clinic. Yeah. Um, Cliff's a pr- plastic surgeon. Yeah, uh, Cliff's a plastic surgeon. Monk is a, you know, he's a writer and a university professor, right? Um, <clears throat> I mean... That definitely... That shapes his perspective. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah, and you can see it. Like, like it, the way he he writes this book that, you know, 
is about some dude who's like on a, a felon on, on the run, on the murders and the drugs and the like the like the black experience that like thug and rapper movies sort of you know perpetuate and that's what this that's what the publishers are looking for that's what they consider the authentic black experience and they won't take anything else he's written he he makes a good point at the beginning of the movie where his publisher is saying like they're just saying like your books aren't aren't like black enough and he's like they're plenty black i'm a black man and i wrote them (laughs) like but there's just like they want those stereotypes perpetuated because that's what will sell their books yeah yeah, and I mean, and so the part of his whole impetus is he sees this other, um, other author who is very well spoken. She's and she's Oberlin. the female version of him. She's the female version of him, <laughs> um, but she wrote a book for the market with research, whereas he just threw a pulled a book out of his ass. Uh, to make fun of her book. Right. And everyone was like, give me. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, it's 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 so funny. Like, they have this argument at the end, and it's very much, like, very clear that he wants to be like, I'm, I'm Stagger Lee. Like, I, yeah. you know. Because <laughs> his book gets, he, he signs on to judge this literary award, and his book as Stag gets added on last minute. Yeah. And so then there's this whole, like, everyone loves the book. And it's funny because he wrote it, but he's the one saying, like, you guys don't think this book is, is awful? You know? Because he wrote it with the intention of, like, yeah. this is this is a bad book and for he stupid it's people. Awful. It's, like, basically what he And says. she thinks it's awful, uh-huh. the girl, the lady who's the opposite of him, mm-hmm. you know? Like, they both know but that it's... There's this great scene with... So three... There's five judges. Three are white. And then... Uh, Thelonious and then this woman Santera are are black and they they are voting on what book is going to win and everyone votes for his book which is called Fuck which he changes that's a whole funny scene too where he changes the name cuz he just wants to prove how how stupid these people are he wants to shut down the creation of the book but then the publishers agree to name it that anyway um but the all the white judges say well like it's 3 against 1 um, three against two. Yeah, three against two. And then what do they say about? They say something. She like, says something like, "It's it's great that we finally listen that you know this book lets us finally listen to the to black voices to when black they're voices. shutting out the they two shut black out the judges. The two black people are like, "No, don't put this book I, I, awful." Yeah. <laughs> so, I the one thi- so I at a library in a city. Um, there's a lot of urban fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, urban fiction being. Exactly what he wrote, essentially, in a lot of cases. And what she wrote. There's either the female perspective of urban fiction where it's like, where, I mean, like, literally there are, there are, like, I, I, I could, there is a book series called Full Figured, and there, there's literally like 15 to 20 of them. I don't, like, it's like Full Figured 7, Full Figured 15, or like, or like, Too Ratchet to Die 7. And it is, it is, this is literally like a, a theme. So what, so I'm like, and, and I just went through this, we're going through this whole thing at work where we're um, defining our special collection in our library, and our special collection is, since we're in a, we are in like a very highly Af- African-American area, we have a lot of African-American books, and I just went through the process with all of my coworkers of 
putting these things together and like figuring out what our special collection is and figuring out which books fit our criteria for what was essentially a Black Voices special collection. Mm -hmm. So this was particularly like, oh my God, this movie's like, I just did this all week. Very relevant to you, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I just, we, we just like, you know, determined like what fit our like modern Black Voices collection essentially. Um, and like, the funny part is, the the books that that Monk wrote before this book would have made it into the special collection, like all like his his cool like like books about mythology and like yeah he the, was he was writing literary fiction yeah they, like these litfic books would have made the cut yeah the book that he writes that gets that blows up would not have made the cut it would have just gone to a normal fiction selection um, because we. I mean, there is, I didn't do the fiction selecting, but it was very much like we all sort of agreed that all the urban fic books would just be shifted into our normal fiction selection. Okay. So everybody can find them still. You know, we didn't get rid of anything. It's yeah. all in the same place. But it, they're just not on those specific shelves. And, and I, that's what I was... One of the things that was kind of like my only nitpick with this was like those books circulate a lot. I was going to say, there's def- what I like about it is that conversation he has with Santera. Yeah. Because there's a place for books like that, and I'm I'm sure so many people feel so seen and understood by those books, but what becomes clear in their conversation is, like, while she hasn't lived it, she at least did the research. Yes. To make sure that she was giving as authentic of a story as she could, whereas he was essentially writing a parody. And, yeah, and, and everyone picked it up. Yeah, and didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> yeah, I, I think th- those books circ. But they, and I mean, maybe maybe this is more, harkens more back to like a literary time of like, there's an author called Donald Goins um, that has a really popular book called Whore's Son, which is about a pimp, right? Okay. And I've heard that that is actually, I mean, I haven't read it personally yet. It's probably on my list at some point soon because I have several coworkers that say it's really excellently well-written. Um, and like, there are, there's stuff like that, but like, I, I I don't know if 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 it's fully realistic that fuck would get picked up by an author like that or by by a publisher like that, you know? Um, because I don't see. I think it was hyperbolized for absolutely sure. Absolutely hyperbole <laughs> because sure. because like like the you know like I don't as a person who sees these things check out like you know pe- the people in our area love the urban fiction books. They will check them out all the time. Um, but it's definitely a different demographic than what they're describing in this movie. Right, Right, but what they're playing off of in the movie is this idea of white guilt. Yeah. And they even say, like, we're going to push the publication date so that falls on Juneteenth when white people are are feeling particularly guilty and, you know, are going to be purposefully looking to read from black authors like they're... And I would not be surprised... I, without a doubt, believe those sorts of conversations happen. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Oh my God. Because yeah. even Monk only gets invited to judge this literary award. because, And the guy who calls him is so rude about it, too. He's like, yeah, basically we're just asking you because you're black. It's like essentially what, we, you know, we're like so many other places are being forced, you know, or, or recommended to diversify and blah, blah, blah. And it's just so, it's so icky the way he, he asks him. Um, and it's funny too, because the way he gets Monk to agree to, to judge is by saying like, I always pitch it this way. This is your chance to judge other writers instead of them judging you. And then Monk's like, okay, I'm in. It was, yeah, it was like, 
It was like, here's here's the last talking point I used and people seem like they're still on the fence. This gives you a chance to finally judge other writers for real instead of just silently oh, yeah. to yourselves. Yeah. And then he immediately <laughs> is like, like, okay, I'm, I'm in. in. <laughs> oh, man. My uh, favorite scene in this movie. I made it the Instagram graphic because I just loved it so much. Is pretty soon after Monk gets to Boston, he goes to the bookstore in a pair of sunglasses and asks the guy who's working, whose name is Ned, he's like this gangly, nerdy yeah, white dude, nerd. Um, where the books by Thelonious Ellison are. Because he's in like the mythology section, he's looking for, you know, the books that he had written. And so then Ned leads him over to the African American Voices section. And this is very annoying to Monk. He's like, these books don't go here. And Ned's like, well, since this is a chain, I don't decide where the books go. And actually, no one who works here even decides where the books go. Like, we just have to put them where they go. And so Monk grabs all of his books and starts walking them to the section he thinks they should go in. And Ned's following him, being like, you know I'm going to have to put those back as soon as you leave. It was just like, I don't know. It was so funny. I'm just going to put them back as soon as you leave. Like, please. Yeah, don't make it harder for me. (laughs) But that whole scene, like the physical comedy of of Monk carrying this huge stack of every book he's written because he thinks they're in the wrong spot is just very comical. I didn't, I forgot when we, when I did the intro uh, to mention what else this uh, movie is up for, for the Oscars. So it is up for Best Picture, obviously. Uh, Jeffrey Wright is up for Best Actor for playing Monk. Sterling K. Brown, who plays Cliff, his brother, is up for Supporting Actor. And then it's also up for Best Adapted Screenplay. Cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. There are so many scenes. Like, I wish we could just sit and talk about, like, every single scene. Like, the scene on the beach right after... And this is a great point, too. Like, we were saying this is so funny, and Peter was saying, like, it's also so sad. Like... After Lisa dies, they're on the beach doing a funeral for her. Yeah. And then Monk turns around to scatter her ashes in the sea. And on the side, in the periphery of the shot, you can see this dude walking towards them. And you know, it's like, this man is going to say something. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in the shot. And it's one of their neighbors. And he's like, are those human remains? You need to have a permit for that. And Cliff basically is like... They know him, their neighbors. He's like, get the fuck out of you. Yeah, get the fuck like, out of here right now. Go, here. go, go. <laughs> and like chases them away. <laughs> like, oh my god. The audacity. Like, you've got all these people dressed in black. This is so clearly a funeral or a memorial. Like, just to have a heart and get out of the way. Like, I would be embarrassed to even walk through them like he did, let alone to say something. Like, these people are in mourning. But, yeah. So they're just like those bits of humor are spread into even the saddest moments. I actually cried or teared up a little bit in this movie um because like peter said so many of the heartwarming moments are with their their housekeeper lorraine who's just the sweetest lady and probably what they all wish their mother was because she's very different from their mother she very much like like mothers them yeah more than the mom does yeah and she and one of the cops at the yeah maynard at the beach wherever the beach house is um they have a thing for each other it looked like he was in a cop car, but maybe it, it, it was like it was it was security. I think he's like the beach security or oh, whatever. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, they, I don't know if their community's gated or if it's one of those things deals like uh like a Sandbridge sort of scenario yeah. or something like that. It's a smaller community. You yeah, know. 
Um, but they they have a thing for each other, and then he asks Lorraine to marry him, and then Lorraine asks Monk if he'll walk her down the mm-hmm. aisle, and it's just like a really sweet, heartwarming moment, and the actress delivers that line so well, and I just I teared up a little bit because yeah, it was, was just, very good. It was so sweet. Oh, I gotta talk about it. there are two parts of this movie where it like fourth wall breaks a little mm-hmm. bit, which is so fucking good. It's the funniest shit ever. So, like, when he starts to write the, the you know, the book, Fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, which was originally which, called My Pathology. My Pathology. With an F. Yeah. Um, it's funny, too, watching him try yeah. to not be as intelligent as he is. Like, he writes out My Pathology, and then he, like, has to go back. Or, like, there's the scene, part of the scene Peter talks about, where he, like, uses some very intelligent wor- wording. Yeah, midnight black or yeah, whatever. Yeah, my midnight black skin and the the characters. Midnight like, black. What? Yeah, so so we see the characters, two characters, one of them Keith David, the other one I don't know the name of, um, acting out a scene in the book while he's writing. It's like part of his creative process, right? Um, and then we just see him. He's sitting there in the in the, on the in the corner typing it, and occasionally they'll ask him what their next line should be and things like that. And it's very funny. Mm-hmm. Like that was really good. Um, and the other, the other part that's really cool is at the end, when he reveals that he is Stagger Lee, um, he, I don't know if he reveals, so, like, we get to see, like, six, or, like, three different endings for this mm-hmm. movie, right? Because they show, cause he, he goes to the Hollywood guy, and he talk he, like, you know, obviously convinces him that that's gonna be a funnier movie, or a better movie, is, like, the reveal that he's, you know, which we don't see that part, but... We see the like one ending, and then we think it's the real ending, right? Mm-hmm. And then it like cuts, and it's him like, no, that's not gonna work. I, I, yeah. I don't think that's because gonna... the original is just a fade to black. He yeah. says, "I have, I have a confession to make and at the award cuts. ceremony after Stagarly wins," and then it, it's it blacks out for just long enough that like Peter said, "You think the movie's over?" Yeah, <laughs> and then it's it's him talking to the director that he'd been talking to, and. And, uh, you know, he's going through these different ideas, right? Um, oh, man. It's just, it was so good. Yeah, the, the second one. The one the director ends up landing on is the, the FBI shows up and shoots him dead on the stage. They're just like, that's perfect. And then, and then it keeps going and he gets in the car with his, with his, um, with his brother. Um, and, like, the very end of the movie is, is him just, like, looking over and seeing a guy... Like a a black actor in a mm-hmm. or extra or whatever in a in a slave you know uniform or costume or whatever yeah, for whatever show he's on and on the uh, and the guy just like gives him like a sideways peace sign and then like as he like starts to leave and he mm-hmm. he like nods at him and it's like this whole that whole like that was like such a cool like acknowledgement of uh, you know pays the bills yeah <laughs> kind of thing yeah. like like, <laughs> like we yeah it, it just sort it's sort of like it was like a sum up of the whole movie in general you know it was so good. I, I, this movie was fantastic. It, it was. was really well done. It was. I just loved yeah. everything about it. And it didn't spoon feed you anything. Nope. Which is like a nitpick of mine for any movie that's like trying to make a big statement about anything. Or even has the potential to make a big statement about anything. It's my major nitpick with Barbie, to be quite honest. Like, I just don't like to be spoon fed a message. I want to be trusted as an audience member that I'm intelligent enough to like understand where you're going. Um, and this movie does that, and it does it really, really well. So I was excited because out of the best pictures list, this was the one I was most excited for. We hadn't seen already. 
and I loved it. <laughs> I really loved it. So that was the best feeling. We have no idea what we're watching next week. Uh, we're going to kind of figure it out as we go. We have some ideas. Yep. So we will keep you posted about that. If you want to know what we're watching ahead of time, you can check out 5050 Films Podcast on Instagram. We'll talk to you next week. See ya.